Good morning, Springbrook. Boy, that was exciting to hear about the East Coast Missions trip. Thank you for your generosity in sending that team if you're our guest. Boy, it's so good to have you with us. Hope you enjoy our time together as we worship the Lord. Stop by our guest center and pick up some gifts there. We're going to head right back into the life of Elijah. Let's look at our map here. We'll quickly... Oh, yeah, this is our light. Just, <laughs> bulb just went out, so i got to look this way. All right. So uh, let's quickly uh, summarize for maybe those of you who haven't been here. Where we've been, number one, right by the Sea of Galilee, Elijah was the mountain man, right? Came out of the mountains, little village there, unsophisticated. Uh, he just uh, is a man of God. And this is a northern kingdom. Ahab was a king. Jezebel was a queen. Jezebel was a power behind the throne. Jezebel brought Baal worship. She outlawed worship of Jehovah. Very evil couple there. So what happened was is that uh, God sent Elijah down to Samaria, number two at the very bottom, to talk to Ahab and Jezebel and tell them, hey, listen. Oh, there we go. Nice. <laughs> uh, right there. Uh, he said, uh, it's not going to rain. God is judging you. Right? God is going to judge you, and there's going to be no rain, and you're going to suffer because of it. And then God told Elijah, hey, listen, you better go hide because they want you dead. So he went up to the brook of Cherith, number three there next to the Sea of Galilee, uh, the brook Cherith. And there he, again, spent about maybe about a year and a half, we're not sure, but there was a brook there where he could drink from, and a raven fed him. Uh, uh, he fed him. So, all that to say is he spent a year and a half there, and that's where he was at the beginning of his prophet training. And then uh, God called him way up to the top there at Zarephath, and there was a widow there that uh, he had a ministry with, and she had run out of floor, flour and oil, and God did a miraculous thing that it was always replenished whenever she used it. And so maybe two years he spent there, and that's where his faith really grew in God. Uh, he resurrected her son from the dead. That will grow your faith, right? That was kind of his graduation exercise. And then after three and a half years of no rain, God came to Elijah and said, Okay, it's time to go back to Ahab. Bring the rain back, and let's get something done here. Let's bring uh, this uh, to where it needs to go and back in reference to bringing these people back to God. So he goes all the way back down to probably Samaria to talk to Ahab. And he says, listen, Ahab, i got a deal for you. Let's have a contest. Let's see if Baal is stronger or God is stronger. Who, really, who is the real God? So they go to Mount Carmel. And on Mount Carmel, we talked about this last week, uh, at Mount Carmel what happened was is that the prophets of Baal set up an altar and Elijah set up an altar and the prophets of Baal asked Baal uh, to send fire down on this altar. And they ranted and they raved and they screamed and they danced and nothing happened. And then Elijah just said a simple prayer to God and God torched that altar and just left a big hole. And so they slaughtered the prophets of Baal. They removed that tumor from the land so that people would now worship uh, Jehovah. And God told Elijah to pray for rain to come back. So he bowed his head and he 
told his servant, hey, go see if it's raining yet. <laughs> if there's any rain coming our way. And, and the servant had to go up seven different times. And finally he said, oh, there's a little cloud like a hand in the distance. And the rain started to come. And he told Ahab, hey, you better get out of here because we're going to get washed out here. And I'm going to talk with you. In fact, I'm not even riding the chariot. I'm going to run back. We look in 1 Kings 18.46. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment. He pulled up his long garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, that was 20 miles, almost a marathon. And he ran it amazingly fast. And it wasn't like these nice paved streets that people run marathons on. And we're talking rough country and terrain. But God gave him that supernatural strength, and he got there. Now, before we get into this, I want to remind you one thing. James 5.17 speaks about Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Now, he was powerful in the sense that God answered his prayers, but he was a man just like us. And we can do great things for God if he empowers us. But we also can sin. We also cannot trust God. And that's what we're going to see today in Elijah's life. Turn to 1 Kings 19, verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel is not going to be happy. Jezebel is a part of our vernacular today because of what she's about to say here. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as a life of one of them by this time tomorrow. You are a dead man. Now you think Elijah said, oh, give me a break. Now stop that. I just killed off all your prophets. God's on my side. You know, did you hear what happened at Mount Carmel? You think God is going to uh, back off because of you? Well, look what it says. Then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life. And came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Let's zoom in on 1 Kings 19.3. Then he was afraid. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're talking about Elijah, the mountain man. We're talking about the man of faith. Three and a half years of prophet training, trusting in God day by day by day. And he was afraid. Well, what's the deal with that? Why was he afraid? Well, we're not exactly sure. Of course, we know that he was afraid for his life. That's the main thing. But the question is, why didn't he stand up to Jezebel and say, listen, my God is much greater than you? Well, I think a couple of different reasons. Number one, I think that when he was running back, he was thinking, this is it. God is going to complete my mission today. Today I'm going to go back to Ahab and Jezebel. They're going to see that all their prophets are dead, and they're going to say, we're going to do what you're going to do. Elijah. I really believe that was his expectation. He was going back to talk with them to finally fix this problem of who was worshiping who in the northern kingdom. But that didn't happen. He got back and he heard Jezebel and said, you're a dead man. And that kind of rattled him, no doubt. And then, of course, he was tired. He was emotionally exhausted. From everything that he had gone through on Mount Carmel and the 
a supernatural run. He was run down, and he didn't have a lot of emotional strength. And he was no longer trusting in the strength of God. My question for you today is, what are you afraid of? When I read over the prayer request that you write down and that we pray over, I see three different types of requests. The main one is relational requests. People are praying for a relationship, praying for their husband or wife, praying for a child, praying for someone else in their life. Or they're praying for financial issues, praying that God would provide the needed finances, praying that they'd find a job, those type of things. And the third is our health issues, things that are going wrong with their body or somebody else's body. So you got relationships, finances, and health. So where's your fear today? Where are you afraid? We're very fearful people. But we're not trusting in God and walking with Jesus. That's what's happening here. Verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. So he left his servant in Beersheba, and he went deeper into the wilderness alone, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough how, how now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Wow. Here we got Elijah on Mount Carmel. And that day or a day later, he's saying, Take me, God. I don't want to live anymore. Isn't that the nature of emotions that flow through us? I mean, we're up and we're down. Sometimes we're really down. In fact, this is not uncommon. You remember Moses? He wanted to kill himself. If I was leading the Israelites, I'd want to kill myself too. <laughs> Take my life, Lord. I can't stand it anymore. Uh, Jonah, the great revival of Nineveh. God, God's power visits that nation in an incredible way, that city. And, and Jonah says, I want to die. Paul even said he despaired of his life. This is not uncommon to be emotionally exhausted, to not want to live anymore. So Elijah says, it is enough. When's the last time you said that? Maybe this morning. <laughs> it's enough! I have enough on my plate. I've got enough problems. I've got enough issues. I've got enough things going on. I can't take it anymore. That's what Elijah's saying here. He's emotionally overwhelmed. He's burnt out. Whatever you want to call out. Call it. He's at a low point in his life. And what leads to emotional exhaustion? Well, let's just take a quick look here. First of all, disengagement from self-care. You can't care for others unless you care for yourself. You've heard that, right? You've got to care for yourself. In fact, I was talking with a woman who is just unbelievable in her ministry uh, giftedness. And she said she struggles with self-care. And a lot of people do. They love to care for other people, but they don't take time to care for themselves. So here we see Elijah. Hasn't slept all kinds of emotional expenditures. He's stressed out. Just came off this huge victory. You know how that goes, right? If you have a real high, what's going to happen? You're going to have a real low. You should see me on Monday morning. <laughs> you don't want to. And my wife is very gracious. <laughs> Monday is a down day. That's why I day off. 
<laughs> Got to recharge the batteries, right? All right, disengagement from God. Obviously, Elijah disengaged from God. He didn't trust Him anymore. He trusted Him for three and a half years, and all of a sudden He broke apart. Disengagement from God's purpose in your life. Obviously, Elijah thought there was no more purpose in his life. He says, Lord, take me out here. No more reason for me to be here. And disengagement from relationships. It's interesting, obviously, God provided the widow, and uh, he had a servant, but beyond that, he didn't have a big support system. So again, I think we can apply that to our own lives when we get emotionally exhausted. So let's look at uh, what God tells us in this passage, some principles about how we can deal with emotional exhaustion. The first thing is we need to rest. We need to rest. So Elijah's out there under that juniper tree, and he says, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree, same thing, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, and there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. Now, there's a picture of a juniper tree. And I like this picture because of all the stones, the boulders that surround it, because that's kind of like what our life seems like sometimes. we get boulders everywhere. And this little juniper tree that we sit under, and uh, that's where God ministers to Elijah. He just let him, lets him sleep. I tell you, some of you need a nap. Don't take it right now. But <laughs> I mean, if you really have to, okay. If you really have to, that's what, I mean, people do anyway. But, <laughs> but I tell you what, I love my naps. My wife will testify to the fact that I am a different person after I have my nap. Sometimes she commands me to take a nap. You're too difficult to live with. Go lay down, man. You need it, and I need it. Okay? Oh, yeah, i got to have my naps. No doubt about it. And, and Elijah was just so exhausted, he needed to sleep. And then an angel comes to him. And this is amazing. Just imagine right. angel comes, taps him on the shoulder. Hey, you need to eat something. And so the angel provides this cake, this cake on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. Some of you need this type of therapy, right? Some of you need that type of therapy. You just need, uh, and oh, you, you might not be able to get it, but if you can do it, go home and say, honey, I need this type of therapy. All right, I'm going to take a nap, wake me up at 3, have some food, I'm going back to bed, wake me up. <laughs> we just need to replenish our physical strength and our emotional strength. I'm thinking... What kind of cake that must have been like? Hmm. God making a cake for you. An angel making a cake for you. What does that look like? Oh, yeah. An angel food cake. Of course, this is the first time an angel food cake was made. It's right here in the Bible. I don't know what you guys are laughing at. It has to be an angel food cake. An angel made it. That's where they got the name. Not really. How many of you like angel food cake? Okay, more than I thought. you got to put a lot of stuff on it to make it taste good. Whipped cream, you know, strawberries. Now you see, now you're thinking about food. Stop it! All right. 
All right, so uh, let's go back to verse 5. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was in his head a, a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. So, friends, the principle here is self-care. So let me ask you some basic questions. How are you sleeping? How are you sleeping? Sometimes people say, well, I can sleep on six hours a night, or I can sleep on four hours a night. Well, that's not really impressive. Almost every study that's done says seven to eight. You need seven to eight. And everybody thinks they're special. I can operate on less. Well, friends, if you're getting less than seven and eight, it's impacting your life. It's impacting the way you cope with problems. It's impacting how you deal with people. And over a long period of time, it's going to impact your health. You've got to get your sleep. Right? Uh, eating. How are you eating? How am I eating? How are we eating or exercising? How are we having fun? When's the last time you had some fun? You got to build fun into your life. God built the Sabbath into your life. He built recreation into your life. You got to recreate yourself. Those are all things I would encourage you to sit down with a friend uh, or your spouse or whoever and say, How are we doing in these areas? Now, are we caring for ourselves? Because some of you, like a young mother's, oh, mercy. I saw with one young mother, and she had a little baby in her hand. She said, yeah, we're having another one. <laughs> I said, oh, God bless you. <laughs> she said, I know it's scary. <laughs> you know, I mean, do whatever you can to take a break. If you see somebody not taking care of themselves, talk to them about it. And they all take the kids or whatever you can do to help other people give self-care. Because if you don't take care of yourself, your emotional reserves are going to be, uh, again, drained. And you're going to be more susceptible to a lot of different things. All right, verse 7. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of the food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. So on a long journey, we'll see a map here. See a map here? Uh, yeah, you see Beersheba down there, and then it's even further south to go to Mount Horeb. So he was traveling uh, quite a ways because God wanted to teach him something at Mount Horeb. Of course, Mount Horeb was a place that Moses uh, received the Ten Commandments, a very well-known mountain in Scripture. So the first thing we need to do is rest. Oh, here's a picture of Mount Horeb. All right. And somewhere there... Thousands of years ago, Elijah met with God in a cave. Now, the second thing we need to do is rediscover God because Elijah was disengaged from God. This is my favorite part. Okay, verse 9. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. So he said, I'm going to stick around here. I'm going to withdraw from the world. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Don't you love that? What are you doing here, Elijah? It's not like he lectured him, like, Elijah, what's the deal? I put you through profit training. You were my top candidate. And you blew it. I mean, I gave you a victory on Mount Carmel. And then, oh, little Jezebel comes along and you, you run like a scared little rabbit. Did he lecture him? 
Did he fire him? Here's your pink slip, man. Nice try, but uh, you've disqualified yourself. i got other people I can use. No, he didn't do that either. He just asked him, what are you doing? What are you doing? Again, God brought him to this place for a particular purpose. He said, what are you doing? And don't you love the gentleness of God? He's gentle with those who are weak and those who are are suffering. And and he just wants to know what's going on in your life. And and Elijah, oh, Elijah's been having a pity party for quite a while now. (laughs) Uh, He says to him, well, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. God, I am all alone. I'm the only guy you got on this earth who still believes in you. And they want me dead. That's what's going on with me. Now, friends... God is so gracious to Elijah here. I'll tell you one other thing. If you're in rebellion right now, God's not going to be as gracious. (laughs) Right? He's going to have to get more to get your attention. But Elijah did have an open heart, I believe. Uh, And and so he he goes through this whole thing. and, And then he said, go out. God says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. Here's Elijah sitting in this cave. I've experienced a tornado. Been in a tornado or anything of that nature? Anybody out there? Okay, a few of you. Yeah, that's scary. I have never been in it. Thank you. Thank the Lord, but at the same time, you know, you hear the train coming and, uh, and the wind is ferocious. And, and that's what I believe happened on that mountain. It was a mini tornado, a microburst. <laughs> I think God can make his own thing up, <laughs> right? But I mean, whoa, <laughs> there was a lot of noise. And I really think that during this time, God, or Elijah thought God was taking him out. That God was answering his prayer. That it was over. I mean, when that wind started to howl and roar and just deafening. And, and, and the wind within that cave. But God wasn't in that. And the wind died down. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not an earthquake. Well, not an earthquake. So here you're inside of a mountain. And you have an earthquake. And this mountain was rocking and rolling. And Elijah was rocking and rolling. And he was being tossed around, I would think, in an earthquake. And he probably thought any moment this mountain was going to collapse on him. And that would be it. And after the earthquake, a fire. A fire. You ever been close to like a campfire and you'd have to step away because of the heat? Or even a larger fire and you have to step way back? Because, I mean, the heat that it throws off. Well, can you imagine Elijah being in this cave? And this fire just covering the mountain, burning everything that was living on that mountain. And he was feeling the heat. And he said, this is it. 
I'm going to burn to death. And then it just receded. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. What was, what was God teaching Elijah? What is God teaching us? First of all, he was reminding Elijah that he is God, that he is sovereign, that he is all powerful, that he is in control, that he is the great I am. Because what happens is, is that when we get lost in our pity parties, when we get lost and emotionally <laughs> we're emotionally exhausted, our our field of vision is clouded. We can't see things clearly. And we start to think all kinds of things. Satan introduces all kinds of lies into our head about who God is and stuff like that. So what God is doing, He's giving Elijah a reality check. Remember me, Elijah? Remember who I am? That's what He's doing. But then He comes back with a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Didn't God already ask that question? And he's asking it again. What are you doing here, Elijah? And I can imagine Elijah. You'd think he'd come up with something different. <laughs> God asked you the same question twice. But no, he doesn't. But I think... This is what he said. He said, oh, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. But the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. <laughs> Not as much confidence this time, right? Because he'd been reminded who God was and, and how foolish he had been for not trusting him. But he still was processing here. It doesn't like, oh, God, I'm sorry. What have I done? You know, you know he still was saying, I, again, I'm uh, giving my interpretation of this. But I, I just don't think it was that kind of, it was a process here. You know, friends, when you're emotionally exhausted, you need to process with God. You need to get along with God. Sometimes what we feel when we're emotionally exhausted, we need to work harder and faster because that will get the job done. That's the American way, right? Got to stay up later, get less sleep, work harder. But what God wants us to do is He wants us to get along with Him, wherever that might be uh, that you normally get along with God. And He wants you to pour your heart out to Him in the midst of your confusion and your pain and your suffering. Just That's what he's saying. Elijah, talk to me. Talk to me. Tell me what's on your heart. How are you perceiving your life and how I'm treating you? And I just want to encourage you to take some time today. Get along with a notebook or a laptop. You can always erase a file. The point being is just pour your heart out to God. Tell Him everything you're thinking. Well, God already knows what I'm thinking. He, no, 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 no. That's not processing. He wants to hear what you're thinking. Even if it's sinful. He knows it's sinful. You might as well tell him, right? God, I'm really angry at you. God, what are you doing? 
You're not watching over me. You're not protecting me. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? I'm so discouraged, Lord. I don't know if I can go on in this marriage. I don't know if I can handle this issue with my child. I don't know where the money's going to come from. Why? Whatever. That's what God wants to hear. That's why He brought Elijah to this cave. In order that Elijah might process through what was going on, in order that he might eventually see the light, see things through God's eyes. And that's why it's so important we spend our time alone with God. In fact, the more you're struggling, the more time you need alone with Him. So you can listen. You can't listen when you're commuting. You can't listen on the job. You can't listen when you're taking care of four kids. You know, you got to get away, no matter what way you do it. And you just got to be alone with Him. You got to have your journal in front of you, and you're meditating scriptures. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Google Bible verses. I love it. Oh man, Bible verses on comfort. Bible verses on strength. Bible verses on trials. Bible verses on suffering. All right there. You just start studying and meditating and listening to God. And listen to His voice. And let Him speak to you. Because if He's going to speak in a low whisper, you've got to listen very closely. You've got to be very quiet for God to speak in a low whisper. That's what you do. You've got to reconnect, rediscover God through time alone with Him. The third prescription is reassignment. Reassignment. Now remember, Elijah thought his ministry was over, his life was over, but God gave him a new purpose. He really gave, it's really interesting, He gave him a task list here. Uh, Verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you will anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meoliah, who shall anoint you to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. You know what the interesting thing is here? God never really responds to Elijah that we at least have recorded. He listens to him, but he knows that Elijah's getting it over time. So he says, okay, Elijah... Time to get back to work. Here's what you need to do. But then he throws this in. Okay, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. What's he saying? Elijah, you're not alone. i got 7,000 people in the northern kingdom who have not bowed down to Baal. I mean, Jezebel has outlawed worship of Jehovah, but they're still worshiping Jehovah. They're taking the risk. They could be found out. There are 7,000. Because sometimes when we get in our our pity parties and and we're emotionally spent, we think we're the only ones. And again, we just exaggerate things and lie to ourselves about things and not depend upon the truth of God. So he's saying, Elijah, you're not alone. And that's so important that we realize that. And friends, you've always heard it before, you know, if you're struggling with discouragement, depression, the thing you need to do is go out and reach out to somebody in need. And uh, again, what we saw, what Emily talked about in regards to the compassion outreach, and if you're struggling today with discouragement, one of the things I would encourage you to do 
is to help somebody else. Help somebody else. Other people obviously are suffering out there. You've got to own your own suffering, but help other people who are suffering. Go back to those compassion tables today. Angel Tree, Operation Christmas Child, uh, the Thanksgiving uh, for sailors, uh, the winter coat drive, and to reach out and help people. The fourth thing is relationships. Now, Elijah was disengaged from relationships. It seemed like he had many friends. Verse 19, so he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, again, who was going to be his successor, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him and was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, saying, hey, you're the next guy. You're the next prophet. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said, go back again for what I have done to you. Like, yeah, sure, go ahead, no problem. Uh, And then he goes on and... uh, uh, verse 21, and he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Elijah was all alone, but now he had a comrade. Now he had a partner. Now he had a friend. And men, I want to especially speak to you. You need friends. You need people to be there with you, for you, to do life with. And we as men are taught in our culture that that's, you know, if you're going to have a friend, keep it a service relationship. you got to ask yourself, when the storm comes, now it might be fair skies in your life. And, oh, boy, enjoy the fair skies, okay? Hey, hey, it's great, but the storm is coming in your life and in my life. And when the storm comes, who am I going to call? Who am I going to ask for help? Who am I going to share my heart with? And now is the time when it's fair skies to develop relationships. And we do that in so many different ways here in our ministry. Small groups, of course, is one of the critical ways where you get to know other people. We have all our men's groups and all different types of groups and other activities. But get to know other guys, men. Establish those relationships. Do coffee together. Get to know one another. Have spiritual friends where you talk about spiritual things You and I need that so much. We need each other. That's why we're a church. God put the church together to complete the Great Commission. And part of that is doing life together and supporting and encouraging one another. So as we look at this list, where are you at? Emotional exhaustion. Just take one. You need to care for yourself. Do you need to engage with God? Do you need to... Uh, revisit God's purpose for your life? Or do you need stronger relationships, Christ-centered relationships? Or remember memory verse, Matthew 11, 20-30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, Jesus wants to minister to you. Jesus wants to encourage you. Jesus is a source of life. And as you spend time alone with God, Jesus Christ, you know, just lean on Him. Depend upon Him. Let Him live through you. And, uh, you know, He is the key. He is the key here. As Christians, as Old Testament, talking about uh, God, Father, and as we look toward the New Testament, a keys in on Jesus, the 
the Son, and uh, He is the one who is the most, it's the most important relationship in our lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for this very powerful story. Um, Lord, I pray in the midst of our emotional downs that we would turn to You and we would listen to You. I pray for all my friends today who are struggling. And one thing I really would challenge them to do is to take a half hour, find a good verse, Google it, you know, find a good verse to think and meditate upon, and then just let them pour out their hearts, whether it just be verbally in their minds or on paper. But just like in that cave, Lord, I pray they pour their hearts out to you. And then they would be reminded of who you are and how you're in control and how you can minister to them. In Christ's name.